The Kindness Podcast is made possible by Cornwell Properties in Athens, Ohio. Cornwell Properties offers Ohio University students the best locations to live in Athens. All of their apartments are either on Court Street or within one block. Cornwell Properties. Location matters. Visit their website, cornwellpropertiesathens.com, for more information. Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. At age 31, about to achieve his dream of becoming an orthopedic surgeon to elite athletes, Dr. Herman Williams experienced a life-changing event that left him depressed and disabled. With the love and support of family, friends, and mentors, Williams reinvented himself. He talks with me today about the role kindness continues to play in keeping people healthy. So many people can relate, I think, to having their path interrupted by something they didn't see coming. Would you share with our listeners how your path was interrupted? Yes. So, um, you know, it was very interesting because um, I wanted to be a physician. And actually, I kind of played around and wasn't really serious and uh, was blessed enough to have a mentor come into my life and really challenge me, you know, do you want to be a doctor? Yes, I do. Well, then get your stuff together. So (laughs) I really, I mean, so there are a lot of people who, you know, they have these goals, but uh, they don't really want to work for it. But I was really serious about working. I just played around in college. So I had an opportunity to get retrained and, um, spent a year of my life in Omaha, Nebraska, actually, (laughs) at Creighton University, retaking my entire science curriculum after I graduated from college and just busted my buns and really focused. And I was successful. I got into five medical schools and I chose Boston University School of Medicine and successfully went there and then set an even higher target for myself to become an orthopedic surgeon and got into a very incredible uh, trauma-focused orthopedic surgery program in the University of Washington in Seattle. And I was on my way. I knew I could taste my dream. Mm -hmm. And I had just um, filed my fellowship application for sports medicine with the Curl and Joe Clinic in Los Angeles, California which would have sealed my dream to come back home and to um, work with the clinic that interfaced with all of the professional athletic teams in Los Angeles. And then a month after I submitted my fellowship, I had a cardiac arrest and dropped dead on the basketball court. And you were 31 years old? 31 years old. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And poof. <laughs> Oof, right? All of that. 13 years of training, 13 years uh, BA, MD, MPH, published scholarly journal, you know, everything. I just, I, I mean, I really pulled my act together. And, and then here I was faced with the fact that they found out that I had a genetic heart disease, which would require me to get an implantable surgical surgically implantable defibrillator. And once that was implanted, um, we had problems with it. It was firing uh, about twice a week. And I got shocked 45 times in six months. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, it was then that we realized being a surgeon probably wasn't <laughs> a reasonable choice, mm-hmm. seeing as how that defibrillator could fire in the middle of surgery. And so my career was brought to a screeching halt. But you're here now. And you're talking I'm with me, <laughs> and we call you doctor, and I and you have a long list of things that you have done in your life. So, for for people who are interrupted, have been interrupted, are struggling yes. to get back on the path, yes. what helped you? So, first, I think it's important to say to your listeners that everybody has some sort of interruption in their path, as you have so adequately described it, either an interruption or a diversion or a push to the right or the left. So if you're experiencing that, don't feel like you're alone. It's just part of life. You know, you never know when someone's going to get ill or you're going to get ill or some sort of tragedy or life-changing event occurs. Uh, It's also normal, which I went through to have a period of depression and uh, I would encourage folks who are undergoing trauma like that to seek professional help. I was in counseling for years um, because I actually had a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress syndrome from having been shocked so many times from my device in addition to being depressed from losing my career. But um, once we finally got everything under control clinically and we were able to control my arrhythmias, I was able to focus on what was it that I really wanted to do in life. And this is what's key. You know, if you said, Herman, well, what was really your goal? Was it that you just wanted to be a doctor to the stars? Well, that's not a goal. That's, you know, that's superficial. It's a goal, though. <laughs> it's a goal. It's a goal. But I really dug deeper. And this is what I think I would encourage folks to do. What is it you really want to do? What I really wanted to do was help people have better lives and to use medicine and my healthcare experience as a vehicle for helping others. And once I came in touch with that, I was able to go back and get retrained. I went back on an MBA and got into healthcare consulting, started working with hospitals and helping people. Uh, and then ultimately, I got into hospital administration and actually enjoyed about an 18 year ride as a chief medical officer. Um, and then looking back on that superficial dream of wanting to be a surgeon to the stars. And comparing it to the influence that I had over providing quality health care to um, hundreds of thousands of people in the 18 hospitals that I was over across America, just sitting back and saying, you know, and for me, it was God. For other people, it's it could be something else. But for me, I just felt that God put me in a different place and had a different plan And I just, I sought out, what is that plan? What is my purpose? What is my role? Uh, And it was through these tragedies that I was able to say, you know, by surviving, I have learned the importance of life, and I'd love to share that with others. 
and that's what I have devoted the remainder of my life on this earth is to help others find peace and joy and kindness in life um, through what I do. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like a lot of your peace and joy came through this epiphany of finding your purpose. But for people who yeah. say, well, I don't even know why I'm here. Like I just go to work every day and I come home every day. I had, what's the first step? Where do you start? I just think you have to ask yourself, what is it that I really want to do? Where, what, what do I, what do I find joy in? And I think we forget that as human beings and as social beings, many of us find joy in working with others, helping others, or doing something that would have some benefit to others. Um, and so you have to kind of go through that journey yourself and say, what is it that I want to do? I, in my book, I encourage people to come up with a mission statement. And um, I remember I first learned about a personal mission statement when I read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I was like, this is so ridiculous. Why would anyone want a personal mission statement? <laughs> you know, it's just so hokey. But I'll tell you, I've learned um, my personal mission statement now is to make everyone I come in contact with better off in some way after they leave me than before they've met me. This is very simple, mm-hmm. very clear. Every interaction I have, every door I open, every person I look at, I smile. I'm very intentional about my reason for being here. And you just have to go through that process and say, why am I here? What am I doing? And if what you're doing is not tied to helping you fulfill that purpose, I think that sometimes that's why it's so hard for people to go to work or they feel, you know, like they're robots and just kind of running through life. So I try to build what I do around my mission in life. And that's why I, I, I love my job, love my work, because it is completely tied into my mission in life. And your book is called Clear, Living the Life You Didn't Dream Of. And um, you have, along with that book, in that book, a kindness scale. Yes. What does that mean? So I had a friend of mine say, um, you know, Herman, tell me about some of the principles in the book. And one of the principles is the ABCs of life. A is for accept what it is that has happened to you, what it is, your health status, whatever, but don't be defined by it. B is breathe, which is meaning relax. The first thing we do to take relaxation is to take a deep breath. So B stands for relax. And C is for compassion. And a friend told me, I, I get it. I just don't know how to be compassionate, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And so I said, how about if I came up with a scale that would allow people to do certain things that could make them more compassionate and they could actually quantify the level of compassion that they, you know, carry out throughout the day. And so I have a scale that starts with the most basic level of kindness, which is a simple smile. And it's just amazing to me every day people you don't know, they look at you, you look at them, they smile, you smile, you don't know why, yep. but you leave and you, you smile back and you say, good morning, how are you doing? I'm wonderful. And, and then you, you, boom, you, you know, you keep on, but it's amazing the aura it, it gives you. And so it's contagious. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing is opening doors for people, uh, helping people with bags, helping someone in some way, 
the next one is doing, you know, actually doing something with maybe a skill you have. So as an example, I encourage people when they or their family are in the hospital to please let me know so that I can call. And I find that using my expertise as a physician kind of mobilizes the clinical team and impacts the care that they get. Um, I'll give you another quick example. I was in a restaurant Friday eating some sushi. These two police officers came in to eat their lunch, and I told a waiter, I said, bring me their check. I want to pay for their meal. You would have thought that I gave these guys a raise. I mean, they were <laughs> so appreciative. I mean, and I said to myself, these guys work their butts off. They put themselves in the line of fire. And the fact that someone thought enough to buy their meal probably made their whole week. Mm-hmm. And it's little things like that that make a difference. And so imagine they then take that on the street and maybe situations that they interact with, they bring a different attitude, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to if I had said something negative to them, that could have influenced them and carried, they take that out in the street, you know? So I really felt like, let me just show these guys that somebody really appreciates what they do, you know, and, and it's just that little bit of extra kindness that I think makes a difference in the world. You really hit on a word that I, that I think is so important when we are looking for our purpose or for how to do an act of kindness. And that word is influence. And I think that people don't realize they have it, you know, whether it's, you know, a mom whose child had a particular fourth grade teacher before, and and now she knows somebody else who has that fourth grade teacher and she could put a good word in for the kid, you know, I mean, whatever. It's it's just, it's right. mm -hmm, Everyone has their sphere of influence. And when we can use it, it's, it's pretty powerful and it sure makes people feel very, very special. So Mm -hmm. in adversity, um, I think that people think of pain and joy as existing very separately. And I know in my journey, it sounds like in your journey that, that you've found that they weave together. Um, yes. And you often have joy within the adversity. For people who are going through traumatic events, who are being interrupted in their lives, what are some ideas for finding the joy in that adversity? Just an excellent question. Not only do I believe that they're interweaved, and I'll give you some examples, but I think that joy in the face of adversity and pain can actually help the interpretation of that pain, can even mitigate the pain. And so when I was going through all this adversity, the fact that my wife was literally a guardian angel and walked with me through the whole process and experienced every ED visit and and all the pain that I went through, but stood there strong, holding me up, telling me it's going to get better. You know, things are going to get better. It really helped modify my perception of our condition. And it really helped me try and think of, again, what's most important, you know, I could have a diagnosis of a life-threatening cancer, but the fact that I'm surrounded by family and people who care for me and people who can make my last days on this earth qualitatively different than what it would have been by myself, as an example, Mm -hmm. is one way to change your perception of that existence. 
you know, and so I, I just challenge people to look for the joy, look for, you know, the fact that we have a great family or the fact that we have a great child and the time that I have left on this earth, I'm going to try and make this the most compassionate, understanding child that I can and let my legacy live on with my children as a way to mitigate the perception of adversity. Um, it's all a matter of how you want to look at it. And I think culturally, uh, certainly in the United States, probably other cultures too, you know, you even find people who things are going well for you'll hear people say man things are going great i just can't wait for the other shoe to drop you know <laughs> right. I mean, why why do we think that i mean we wait for the bad just be great and continue <laughs> to be great now they'll be less great at times and you know better at others but it doesn't have to be bad and good mm-hmm. um and so i think re positioning how we perceive adversity and how we take uh, inventory of the great things that are happening. You know, my wife and I, for a time, had some financial issues and we said, you know, look, we got these financial problems, but we have each other and we have an incredible son and we have a great life and we have everything we could possibly want. So let's don't let this, you know, totally shape our perception of life because we are truly blessed. We have challenges and that's, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think counting and taking inventory of those wonderful things that you have can help put into perspective the whole thing. I'll give you another quick example. My mother, my mother who's God bless her. She's in her nineties and, um, she was gone from home and got a call from the gardener who said, I think someone broke into the backyard and they're trying to steal your air conditioners. And my mother was, she was so upset and distraught. And I said, mom, it's not one of us. It's not a body, you know, yeah. it's a piece of equipment yeah. that can be replaced that you have insurance for. And she's like, you know, son, you're right. It's not, it's not a human being. So yep. I'm not going to let that stress me. It's not, it feels like they're going to have to break into the house. You know, let's, let's try and shore it up and secure it and everything, but let's don't lose any sleep over something like that. Let's put it into perspective. And I I guess that's the message I have is put it into perspective. Mm. That's beautiful. That's powerful. So if we can put it into perspective, if we can use our influence and, and know our influence, and if we can put together a mission statement for what we want to accomplish in life, it sounds like you're telling mm-hmm. me it does not matter if you fall over on the basketball court when you're 31 or or right. have other things that happen in your life because there's more to come. There's more good to come. Do you believe that? I do. Um, I was giving a presentation and I told my audience, I said, you know, I, you know, I told them the story about my career and at 31, I dropped in on the basketball court and I told them, um, in 2013, um, due to a medication error, I experienced a stroke, um, and lost my voice for three days and thought I would never be able to speak again, but my voice came back. Uh, and then I told them in 2017, I had another cardiac arrest in the airport. 
in Nashville, and a, a, a young man who I did not know decided he was going to jump into action, and he resuscitated me. So I said, okay, I've been resuscitated twice, and I had a stroke and survived, and, I, and it's wonderful. And this guy jumps up, and he goes, you are the most unluckiest person I've ever met. <laughs> And I said to him, I said, you're not listening. <laughs> I'm the luckiest person you've ever met. You're not listening. <laughs> and so it's how you perceive it. Yes. And you have a choice. I could be, I could say, oh, man, I lost my career and I'm miserable. And blah, blah, blah. Or I could say, you know what? I'm here 28 years later. Where back in the 90s, the average person who had an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest lived three to five years. Mm. And I could just say, what a blessing. Yep. Yep. You're here. And continuing to to be kind and now even adding more meaning to your life through that adversity. So very inspiring. Dr. Williams, thank you for talking with me today. This has been really fun. Sure. Thank you. It's an honor to be on your show and to talk to your listeners. That was a conversation with Dr. Herman Williams. Learn more about Dr. Williams at clearlivingthelife.com. And check out his book, Clear, Living the Life You Didn't Dream Of. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast wherever you listen and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, please spread some kindness in the review section.